Amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> you know, even those of us who really don't know a lot about building know that if you're going to build a building, you've got to have a level, level and stable foundation. Without that, you're going to have problems all the way through the building process, right? The places that are out of level are going to be even more out of level the higher you go, and a stable foundation is absolutely necessary. As someone who lives in a house that's over 120 years old, I can tell you there are some places that are not level, and it causes problems, right? You might have been there. Now, when we think about our spiritual lives, we also need a, a stable and level foundation, and when I look at Scripture, Virtually everything that comes after Genesis 1 and 2 is built on Genesis 1 and 2. So for us to have a, a firm, stable, level foundation spiritually, we need to have a pretty good understanding of those two chapters. So this series that I'm calling Foundation is all about Genesis 1 and 2, and we're exploring what those passages say about us and what they say about God. And last week, we talked about the first half of Genesis chapter 1, the first three days of creation. And we talked about how God brought all things into existence. And at first, it's, it's really chaotic, but God takes time ordering that creation and preparing it to fill with what comes in later in the creation process. And today, we're going to get to that. We're going to think about those last three days of creation that we find in the Genesis 1 account. Now, you know, as we think about creation and think about the things that we make, we live in a culture that values function over virtually everything else. And, and it really makes sense to have the right tool to do the right job, right? It matters if you have things that are functional. But, you know, sometimes function's not everything. For example, you know, you could buy some pins like this, and, and they work. In fact, they, they, they don't dry out while they're in the pen. They, the ink dries really quickly while it's on the paper, writes smooth. Most of us, for less than 20 bucks, could buy enough of these to last the rest of our lives, and we could probably leave some behind for those who come behind us, right? I mean, that, that's how these are. They're very functional. But here's what I find. This is better. This was a pen made by Jim Newley, whom some of you know comes to our first service, great woodworker, made and gave it to me. And this is a different experience. The ink is, is almost exactly the same. Stays wet in the pen, dries on the paper quickly, good writing experience. But, but there's a beauty that's here. There's a craftsmanship that's here that you just don't find in this box. And as we look through that Genesis 1 account, one of the things that we found last week and we'll find again this week is God saying or looking on creation and seeing that it is good. And we talked about last week how that word good could just as easily and accurately be translated beautiful. We don't really think about God looking on everything that he created and saying, man, that is, that is really beautiful. But apparently this God who made us appreciates that kind of beauty and identified what he had made as beautiful. Now we left off on, on day three, and remember Hebrew doesn't have a word for Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it's just first day, second day, third day, so we're on the fourth day, which is Wednesday. So everything's there, it's been ordered, light from dark, water in the sky from water on the earth, dry lands appeared, vegetation, and now God is ready to fill his creation with all these things, and it begins in Genesis chapter 1, 
verse 14, where God fills the sky, or it's called in, the, in this passage, the dome, okay? Because it sort of looks like a dome with the things that we see in the sky. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, and it was so. Now, now we learned on Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1 that God had already created light. Let there be light, and there was light. So there's already light, and it seems to be God just producing this light. But here, in day 4, we get the sources of, those, of that light placed in their locations. The sun, the moon, and the stars, except we haven't seen those names yet, have we? But God says these things will provide light, and they'll mark the days, and they'll mark the years and the times that are going to come for feast days. All that will be related to what we see going on in the sky. And then he makes it happen. Verse 16, God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. So we hear that word. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. It was beautiful. Here's an interesting thing. In that whole passage, it never mentions the sun or the moon. We have this sort of poetic but almost a little awkward language about a greater light and a lesser light, but not the sun and the moon. There's a reason for that. Because in ancient Hebrew, there was no way to refer to the sun as a physical object or the moon as a physical object without also referring to to the gods that were associated with them. So when you talked about the sun, you were also talking about the sun god. Or you were talking about the moon, you were also talking about the moon god. And the writer of Genesis wants to be so clear that this one creator god stands behind all creation and that he did not create lesser gods but that he created the sun, the moon, and the stars themselves. He wants to be so clear about that that he won't even use the language of these other gods. The sun god, the moon god. This is a creation of God, and it was beautiful. And at this point, that's the end of day four. It's time for life. And that begins in verse 20. And God said... Let the water teem with living creatures, living beings, literally. And let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God is ready to create life in both the sea and the sky. And then verse 21, the language gets really interesting. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Back to the beginning of the verse. So God created. Now I made it clear last week that this, this verb created in all the Old Testament, and it's used relatively sparingly. It's not there a lot, but when it's used, the one who creates is always God. Okay, there's never a human being or a group of human being who, who creates with this word. It is only God. It is God doing something fresh and new, the beginning of something. 
And the first time we see it used is way back at the beginning of the chapter. God created the heavens and the earth. And it's not used again until verse 21, right here. God created. So when God made everything that is, he created. And then when life comes into being, the writer of Genesis wants us to know this is God doing something fresh and new. This is God creating. So that's the second use of the word. And, and then he goes on to command everything to reproduce itself. With all this complexity, God doesn't just make like one fish and then after that one dies, he makes another fish. He makes them able to reproduce like all of creation. And God gives this incredible gift of, of the life spreading across the face of the earth. And that's day five. And it's good. It's beautiful. And then we have day six, verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures, living beings according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. It was beautiful. So, so it's divided up. You've got domesticated animals. You've got wild animals. You've got creepy crawlies, the things that we don't like running around everywhere. God created all of them, and he says it's good. And it is the, the act of God which brings this into existence. He creates it. This is God at work, the powerful word of God at work. But God is not finished. Day six is not over. Verse 26, then God said, let us, note that language, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So who is God talking to here? He's not made any people. So is he talking to elephants? Or I mean, what's going on here? Let us make humanity, mankind, in our image. Scholars have been trying to figure this out for literally thousands of years. What does this mean? Now, some people look at this and say, well, maybe this is the, the Trinity, what we call the three in one. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have language going on. And, and last week I read from John chapter 1, which makes it clear that Jesus is present and active in creation, that nothing is created without him. And certainly we have the Spirit of God at work in verse 2, hovering over the face of the deep before creation begins to be ordered. So maybe that's what we're talking about. Maybe it's God and the Spirit of God. It is really hard to tell, but what we know is that God says, let us make humans in our image. Now nothing else in creation is described as being made in God's image bearing the image of God. And I want you to hold on to that thought. We don't have time to get into all that today, but I'm going to focus a little more on that next week. So tune in next week at this time. We'll talk about what it means and a little more about God's creating of humanity. But clearly God is saying there is something special about this part of humanity, uh, about this part of creation, that it is made in my image like nothing else is. And then we have God saying rule over all the rest of it. 
Now, human beings have taken that at times to mean not rule over or have dominion over, as some of the translations say, but to exploit all of creation. That's not what it says. It doesn't say use it for whatever you want to use it for, regardless of what happens. It says to rule over, and it's the same language that we see used about shepherds taking care of their sheep, about kings ruling over their kingdom. And so with this comes not just the, the right to do what we want, but an opportunity and a responsibility to care for the creation that God has set before us. So it's to rule over in the sense of care for. And then we come to verse 27. This language at first sounds really strange to us, but I think it is trying to make a clear point. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We'll look at that and say, did the writer just like lose track there? Because it seems really repetitive, right? I mean, he seems to say the same thing three times. Now, my guess is we don't have anybody in the room, including me, who is a scholar of ancient Hebrew, okay? But I do know how to use a computer. And if you do, you can find out that the word create, it's the same word. It's this same God word that only is used to refer to God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 21, each used one time. So we have the first and the second use. And then we get down to this verse, verse 27, where God is creating humanity, where God is doing something fresh and new, and the word create shows up three times. This writer is telling us that God is active in the process of making human beings maybe in a way that is not present in anything else because it tells us twice we're made in his image as well. This is a special part of creation and the writer wants us to know that God is actively involved in bringing this into existence. This is all about our relationship with God and how we know this God who made us. Now again, we're going to cover more of that next week, but verse 31, sort of a summary of all of this. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, very beautiful. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so we're, we're through the creative process. There's the day of rest that's going to follow. That's the beginning of chapter 2. But in these six days of creation that we talked about God creating, making space, filling space, what do we learn? Well, there's tons, right? I mean, we could go on and on about the things that we learn from this passage. But, but for me today, the thing that I note about these last three days of creation is that God fills creation with life. And that's pretty obvious, right? I mean, that's what he does. All these living beings are brought into existence during these days of creation. What do we do with that? Well, so we look in the ancient world and see how the other cultures understood so the world coming into existence. If we read the creation myths, what we find is that, that human beings are often sort of like an afterthought. They're almost like, well, we got some leftover stuff here. What can we make with it? How about people? Why not, right? 
And, and the gods sort of create them for their use. They're their sexual partners or their slave labor. They're whatever we can do to make ourselves happy. Whatever we can use them to do to make our lives easier, the gods say, well, these human beings that we made, yeah, they're, they're fine, but let's just, hey, whatever we need, they can do. The story is so different from that. God intentionally brings human beings into existence. It seems to be all about the beauty the relationship that he sees as a possibility in these human beings. God didn't need us. He wanted us. And when he was done creating us, it was very good. It was very beautiful. So we think about God filling creation with life. What it reminds us of is that life really matters. That the life that God has created and said is beautiful should be important to us. Now, Christians are sort of known for that when we think about early life, right? We think about the unborn and Christians stand about that. And, and we should, and it's important for us to do what, what we can to help women who are thinking about, how do I handle this pregnancy? To provide resources for them before, during, and after that birth. And that's why Loving Arms Crisis Pregnancy Center is so important and part of the ministry of our church to support women and their, their partners and their husbands through all of that to walk through it. But that's not the end, is it? Part of what, what we're learning from this passage is, is that your life is beautiful. The life that you have been given matters to God. In fact, it is a gift from God. Your life matters. And maybe you're early on in life and, and you're figuring out what, what your life's going to look like. You're making decisions that are going to affect the rest of your life and you're understanding who you are in, in relationship to other people, your parents, your friends, and and trying to understand that and, and what you're good at and what God can do in your life. And that's, that's awesome. That's a great time in life. And it's important because it affects everything that comes later. Or maybe you're in that, that range from 18 to 35 that, that is really important in our culture. Like the marketers are after your money, okay? When you're online watching TV, they are after you. You matter. But you're more than a consumer. And you're working. Maybe you're making a decision about who you're going to spend your life with. And you're starting to raise your kids. And you're, you're contributing something of yourself to the people around you and to the culture. And you matter to God. And it is a beautiful part of life. And it's important. But once we get past that, our culture begins to say, well, you're okay, but you cost us a lot. You're not near as productive. You're not as functional as other parts of life. But you still matter. You know, there's a lot of people in first service and maybe some of you who have said things to me like, getting old is not for sissies. 
is hard because there's physical pain and there's loss of people that you care about and there's change that makes you uncomfortable and it feels hard. But I keep being reminded of the work of a woman named Kate Bowler who's a speaker and a writer. She teaches at Duke University and she nearly died. She nearly died as a young adult because she had cancer. And they found a treatment that worked for her. I think it was in immunotherapy. And she's doing really well right now. But she looked at life and she almost lost it. And she says, old age, growing old, is a privilege. It's a privilege she almost didn't have. And most of us can, or a lot of us, maybe you're too young for this, okay? But I can, we'll put it that way. Remember when the first person in my high school graduating class died at a relatively young age. And you realize that person, not going to see their kids grow up. Never going to meet their grandkids. Not going to use all that preparation and education that they put together to live life, never going to be able to use that. Never going to be able to pass on any lessons of life. It was cut short. And they didn't get the privilege. Didn't get the privilege of middle age. Didn't get the privilege of old age. You see, every part of life is beautiful. There's something inherently beautiful about that life. So wherever you are in it, the gift that you've been given of life really matters. And it is from God. And when he looked on it, he said, it's beautiful. In fact, it's, it's very beautiful. And so the question that you and I are left with today is, what are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Now we're thankful for the gift of our lives. We're thankful that, that we have life today, that we were able to gather in this room to worship you. And we know we're not guaranteed any of it. But we're thankful for the privilege of this day, this hour. And God, we pray that you'll fill it with the beauty that you intended for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.